Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. After a short break to wrap up graduate school, I'm back with today's interview with Steve Whitman, a permaculture designer and planner from New Hampshire. In addition to all of his work on various planning boards, he also runs Resilience Planning and Design, LLC. During our conversation today, Steve and I talk about engaging in government and community planning in order to inject more permaculture into the process. This is the beginning of an examination of how to make our work as designers a part of the mainstream discussion by including a holistic approach into city and community development to change the laws, codes, and ordinances in ways that allow us to have a more active role in what happens where we live. As the population of the world continues to grow and more people live in towns and cities, we can bring permaculture to the forefront in those environments and get involved at all levels, be that local, state, or national. Government and planning are some really big picture issues, and I know that they can be intimidating. Bringing up these kinds of questions at a permaculture design course brought shudders throughout the class. But I think that speaking with Steve, we kept things very straightforward. There's plenty of discussion about how planning works, the various ways we can become part of the decision-making process, and how to bring about change. But this isn't a technical conversation. It's not full of jargon, but honestly, is probably the most approachable conversation we could have had on this complicated subject. I enjoyed talking to Steve, and between the two of us, we broke things down into something you can get started using today, just by picking up the phone and making a few calls. Listen to this interview with Steve, get some ideas, and I'll join you afterwards with some more thoughts on where and who to start with. At the very end, I also include an update on my personal path for those of you who have asked for one. Then, Steve, if you're ready, can you give us a bit of your biography and background, how you came to practice permaculture? And then we'll move into this conversation about providing assistance to communities and municipalities. So, uh, my name is Steve Whitman. I live in Plymouth, New Hampshire. And I came to permaculture two ways. Initially, as a homeowner uh, on our first property that we owned, my wife and I, and then also professionally as a planner working in the state of New Hampshire, smart growth issues and other development issues. And what attracted me to permaculture was the fact that I could work at different scales and use the benefits of permaculture as a design framework. And so I actually started to use it um, on our own property, um, as many folks that listen to the podcast probably did. And so just experimenting and implementing on our own land and collecting feedback and making changes and starting to develop systems with more complexity over time. Um, and then through my own certification course at Crystal Waters in Australia with Max Lindiger, and then through my teacher training at Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute, continued to see the applications at the municipal level. I'm really excited to talk with you today, Scott, about the possibility, the great possibilities uh, for local communities and for permaculture folks to get involved in their own community in that system that may seem a little overwhelming to them. Well, it's a conversation that I've had because I sit on the Parks and Rec Board for my local township. And I know in having some conversations with permaculture students, the idea of engaging at the governmental level is really intimidating at the very beginning to get involved in that process, to get on the appropriate boards, or in some cases even to run for office, and then to begin to apply these ideas. It's, it's a very different world from what I think many of us are taught in our permaculture design course, and it's something 
you know, I'm very interested in hearing more about because my focus has been so limited. One question I do have about your background in planning, were you working as a professional planner then within government? Yes. So I went to graduate school for regional planning and environmental planning at University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Mass. And came to New Hampshire to work as a professional planner. I worked at the local level for a regional planning agency and then for the state office before going into private practice 12 years ago. So I've worked in all the sectors. So if you could give us then a bit of an idea of how you blended that experience with permaculture to give us an idea of how then for people coming from the other side, they might use permaculture to engage in their community and municipality. Sure. I think one of the important distinctions for today's talk is that so much of what we do in permaculture is voluntary, that we're choosing to set good examples on our own properties or on projects we're involved with. And the reality of so much of the land use change in our communities is that it's regulatory. And so many of the land use changes that we see happen in our towns and cities are happening under regulations that have been adopted in that place, being guided by those regulations. And so I see the potential for permaculturists to get involved in that regulatory process, to get involved in both the creation of the comprehensive plan that guides zoning and site plan and subdivision regulations, but also in the development of those regulations. And I can get more into the details of why I think that's important, but So much of our community's change over time is dictated by that process and those regulations. And in most communities that I've had the benefit of working with, it is very different from the ethics and principles of permaculture. I think about just, you know, one of the examples that I go back to repeatedly in the conversation about my own work here has been about something as simple as changing the regulations for small-scale livestock because for a long time we were you had to have three acres to have even something as simple as a rabbit hutch or chickens and then the regulations were changed if you had an acre or more you could have small-scale livestock but then when you actually read through those regulations those rules are so restrictive that you would wind up having to have like a perfectly square acre with no buildings on it no road frontage, no water features, and then you would only have an 8 by 8 square in the very center of that property for those chickens. And (laughs) how, you know, very often it's easy to get that process of regulation change started, but that you really need to be involved in it if it's something that you're an expert on or familiar with to stay active in that process throughout in order to make sure that you get something that's functional on the other side of it. I would totally agree. We see so many examples just like the one you cited. And I think even if People are unsure of the process at the local level. Showing up to a meeting makes a world of difference. I go to a lot of towns to work with planning boards and conservation commissions and other local officials. And if there's not someone in the room asking the question, it often doesn't get addressed. And if there's not somebody there with any expertise in, you know, raising small animals or agricultural practices on small lots or natural building or whatever might be out there as something that we can engage in and encourage, uh, it doesn't get addressed. So even if someone doesn't want to sit on a board yet, just attending the meetings, listening to the conversation, asking questions is very helpful. So then that would be the first place for many people to start, just educate themselves about the issues and show up to some meetings, even if they don't have something to say, listen and understand more about that process? Absolutely. So... 
what I've been trying to do professionally is work with communities that want to make positive changes or guide land use in a more positive direction. I mean, the buzzword is resilience just because of so much of it, so much of that word and its definitions encompass what we believe in permaculture and what we try to create in, in our systems, you know, real dynamic ecosystems. So I think that as we try to do that in communities, having people come out to participate in the conversation, not needing to come with all the answers, but being willing to participate and understand how the process works, we're going to see innovations in communities that we've never seen before. I have started professionally to try to raise this question both in planning circles and in permaculture circles because I think there are a lot of other folks who could contribute to the conversation. And I think all of us together could create a much bigger change on the landscape for the better. And I can explain a little bit more how I see the system now. And it's it's pretty amazing that so much is in place that could actually assist us with positive transformation. Well, if you'd like to go ahead and walk us through that, I'd like to certainly hear more. Sure. So I think a couple of the things that are important to note when you look at how communities in regions plan for the future is that they look at two different scales. They look at the landscape scale. So how is our town situated? What are our resources, both natural and economic and human and otherwise? So they're looking at that landscape scale for their area, whether it be the community itself or the region. And then they're also looking at site level land use change in decision making. So often the comprehensive plan or the regional plan, depending on where you're located, will address the landscape scale. And they'll talk about the types of uses of land that should happen in different areas. And it'll talk about how to guide change over time and things like that. Then where this actually happens is within the land use regulations. So if you or I want to come in and you know, raise small livestock or develop a piece of property, we have to follow a regulatory process in that municipality. Unfortunately, there's usually a disconnect where the plan talks about a utopian vision of the future, and it might say a lot of things we'd like to see from a permaculture perspective about preserving natural resources and you know, being more sustainable, reducing energy use as a municipality, things like that. There's often a disconnect between that vision and the land use regulations. So I often will go to a community and read their master plan and get pretty excited how they want to you know, focus future development in their downtown or village and preserve natural resources and promote agriculture. And then I read their land use regulations and what they've allowed is one acre lots across the entire community, a mix of uses across the entire community, and they are surprised when they get a pattern sprawl. So part of it is addressing this disconnect, pointing out when the vision is one thing and the regulations are another. But the other bigger part that I think we all can contribute to is helping create a regulatory process that guides change towards both restoration and preservation of ecological function. Right now, most of the process for site planning subdivision requires and assumes a certain level of ecological dismantling or destruction, that a site will not be as good after development as it was before. I'm thinking about just some of the little bits of government and governance that I've been involved in, and from kind of that middle ground of involvement, changing that regulatory process sounds really big. I think that's putting it mildly, but I, I don't want to, to come at it from a perspective that approaches it too negatively. 
So I was wondering if you could walk us through how you imagine bringing about that kind of change to make it move in a more positive direction. Sure. And I, I think it's actually, it does seem really big. What we often see in communities is people will take on a cause. They'll take on one issue. Stormwater is a very popular one, both because, you know, federal and state regulations are becoming more restrictive into towns are having to evolve their regulations. But also that's often where there may be some public interest. So let's just take stormwater as an example. You know, you realize that future development happening in your community could be happening with a much more comprehensive way of dealing with stormwater, um, a much more innovative or ecological way. And so one of the packages of tools are these low-impact development regulations for stormwater. And so somebody has to bring that to the attention of the community. Sometimes it's a local official or staff member. You know, the planner goes to a conference, learns about it, sees it happening in another community, brings it to the board's attention, or it could be a local citizen. So that happens. There's a discussion. There's some level of education that has to happen at the at the board and then resident level before things are adopted. And depending on whether you're in a town or within a city, there's a different process for how uh, regulations are adopted. But that type of scenario happens all the time in communities, you know, across North America and other places as well. What we're missing, because we can do these one-off things, we can take on you know, small livestock, or we can take on stormwater, we can take on renewable energy systems. What we're missing are towns having a comprehensive way of looking at it, looking at properties and knowing that they should be dealing both with stormwater and with landscaping and with energy systems. You know, the comprehensive framework that we look at in permaculture design is lacking. So I I know the first step can be a challenge for some, and that's where we need to start. But what I'm encouraging permaculture folks to do is to bring that whole system approach, that holistic approach to their local regulatory process. So then to become initially kind of advocates for some of these one-off programs, to become a part of the governance process, and then through that begin to educate the people who are involved in government about what the other options are in order to bring in, hey, if you're going to be working with stormwater, let's look at landscaping. If we're going to be looking at landscaping, we might be able to use that to assist with these other espoused values that are coming from the comprehensive plan and integrate the plan and the regulations so that they're more in line with one another. You get it, Scott. Yes. And I think just it doesn't have to be seen as confrontational. I think what permaculture... People with a permaculture perspective engaged in their local regulatory process can see a lot of efficiencies. And so I think when we get engaged in a process and we can point out how we can help a future developer, a lot of the times I'm, I'm thinking about non-residential uses, so commercial uses, industrial uses, but how we can help them better site their building and how we can tell them ahead of time this is going to be expected, that they can better site their building and that they can integrate the things we want to see on the on the property. So if there's going to be parking and there's going to be stormwater facilities and there's going to be landscaping, most regulations require that each of those is independent and separate from the other. And I think in permaculture, we know that that's not necessarily the best way forward, that to integrate and to create an ecosystem approach um, can be much more efficient, can have a smaller footprint and leave you know a larger balance of the land undeveloped where it can probably function best Um, the way it has evolved over time. So it could mean that there's a smaller footprint, that there's less cost in some cases, and that maintenance, although there may be some maintenance as there is with 
kind of the standard landscapes we see and parking lots we see today, the maintenance is going to be very different. And I think we all know of some landscapers out there who are starting to figure that out and be able to pitch that to property owners. One of the pieces that comes with that is in engaging at that regulatory and municipal level. At least in the United States, we are in a country that is very credential oriented. And right now, the permaculture design certificate is known within certain circles, but not others. Do you feel that that certificate alone can carry enough weight for an individual who wants to engage developers? Or is there additional certifications or education that would be, if you will, ideal for convincing people that you're an expert and you know what you're doing? That's a really good question. I I have thought about that a little bit. I think that the permaculture design certificate and the person can engage locally with decision makers. Like I think if I were to approach a local land use board in my community and they know who I am or I take the time to let them know who I am and you know what I love about my community and how I, I want to offer some help or I just participate and they can see it for themselves, there's a certain amount of social capital that's probably more important than the actual certificate. And kind of the proof is in seeing how I participate. But I also think that we need to engage, and this has been an area that I've worked as a permaculture instructor, to engage with landscape architects, engineers, planners, those folks that have a certificate or a stamp that is recognized by the development community and that they're going to hire already, to give them permaculture background and a permaculture perspective. Because they often already have some other skills we're very interested in seeing used. You know, whether they be technical skills like CAD or just, you know, more advanced design skills. We almost have to attack it from both angles. And hopefully over time, it starts to raise an awareness of this permaculture um, education process and its benefits. Not sure if I answered your question the way I intended, but. What you get at in that answer, though, is that there are other ways around this credential issue or even the language of permaculture. It is a phrase in some circles, at least that I've encountered, that it's it has some baggage that comes with it. But if you're someone who's active and engaged in a part of the process, then those problems can go away. Something as simple as knowing who the engineering firm is that your municipality deals with if they don't have somebody on staff, but rather has a firm or something, that they could engage with the people at that firm who are doing the planning for your township or the community you live in, and then begin to talk with them about what choices are they making, why are they making them, and try to insert some of this more holistic design mentality into what they're doing. And then over time, use that goodwill that we build to help influence more projects. Absolutely. I'm glad we're doing this as a team, Scott. It's just such a big question. The governance process is so obfuscated if you're not a part of it. And all, you know, people who run for office and all these other things that until you're integrated into it, you just don't know. And it's, I became a member of the Parks and Rec Board just because there was an Adner Township newsletter saying that they were looking for citizens who could serve on the board. And then there was an application process and an interview process. And then finally sitting on the board with my background and, you know, influencing policies so that we're not out there poisoning vultures or having them trapped and moved because people feel that they're unsightly. Having conversations about ecosystem services. It's a slow process. Very much so. And I know in the private sector, you know, you can make a decision and start digging the next day with a couple of phone calls. But in 
government or any kind of a large bureaucracy, what might take you a couple of days can take weeks or months of meetings and planning. And, you know, you'll have five minutes at a board conference to say your piece. And then there, you know, it'll take another month or two before it's voted on. And you might be asked back to speak some more on a topic. And it's so, so different from being a private citizen working on your own land. It is. I sit both as a planning board member on my local planning board, and then I attend planning board meetings to help communities. And often when I'm sitting on the board, I get a real education into, you know, these are lay people. These are people who are volunteering their time. Maybe they have some guidance from the from the town staff and the town staff don't necessarily have some of the skill set that we would like to see from a permaculture perspective. So there are a lot of things that come up that just aren't understood by people. Ecosystems are definitely a topic that's not understood by a lot of folks. And what we often see with communities is we will read their plan and we see the vision that they've put forward and then we read the regulations and it's leading them in a different direction. It's often reading them, leading them to, to a more disjointed, destructive, sprawl pattern of development 